perfect mix of all things. So um, we did put it on a high, uh, uh, two kilos of larva on a very high fiber diet, which is not their ideal. So mineral, mineral water. Yes, it's essentially lettuce leaf and mineral water. But so was yeah, there any kale? <laughs> there was only stalks of kale, not the nice part of kale. So it was even the worst bit of kale, which is like the worst of all things. Um, but yeah, and all of those fly. We were very excited because they tend to not like fi high fiber feeds um, and but we did get them all the way to pupation um, they lived for one day as a fly and died which is really that's a very emotional roller coaster to ride um, but we assume that it was because they did not as a fly they only live between five to ten days and you can stretch out to ten days just on water giving them water to drink um, but they don't feed as a fly, so they can't. That, the nutrients they have as a fly is what you've given them as a larva, and, and, they, and they didn't, didn't have enough. Have a, what prompted you to try that particular diet in the first place? Well, because we're commercially trying to raise them, we you know we know that we're not always going to get the same quality of inputs. So we know that we can't. If we're going to truly address food waste, we can't just go out there and say we're only taking avocado or we're only taking the high quality stuff. We want to make a significant change to waste. So for us, it's okay. What imp if we have bad inputs, what does it look like? So that was a kind of the uh, the scientific method going in, yeah. not not a rigorous control trial, right? <laughs> no, but uh, going back to the science behind it, um, you mentioned avocado. Mm and we were talking about salmon earlier, there is some emerging research going into the diet of the black soldier fly. So if you feed the flies something high in omega-3s, they'll absorb that as well. Mm. So then the omega-3 content of the black soldier fly larva would be quite high, and they'd be the ideal candidate for a sustainable feed for farm fish. Mm. Uh, so you, you can nutrient-load them. Yes. So we could be using the soldier fly to feed fish as well as chicken. Yes. That's, yep. Yeah. So monogastric, so chicken, fish, and pork are the the three prime candidates for them. But you can you you know, even right now they calcium load them for reptile um, breeders and herpetologists. They um, you can do all sorts of. Um, manipulations of their diet in the last four days. Of so this is potentially a huge market, isn't it? In Australia alone, it's a uh, well. Even actually, if you just bring it down even smaller, so the Canberra region is nine. If you just look at chickens, nine percent of the um, Australian um, feed industry in for chickens is uh, the Canberra region, and we're looking at just under fifty-four million dollars worth of feed for chickens in oh. our region at nine percent <laughs> let's get more onto the commercial aspects but first i want to go just sort of backtrack a little to the diet of the fly now brian you you put a really interesting youtube video or pointed us to interesting youtube video <laughs> because this is a really interesting turnaround but before before i get you going just describe the hoverfly please because uh, our listener might not know what it looks like yes there are there are thousands of hoverflies if not millions around at the moment in canberra and you've probably noticed them in your backyard. They might look like bees or wasps. So with a red and black stripy bum. Uh, yeah, like a gold and orange sort of, uh, and black stripy abdomen. And um, they kind of just hover above flowers. That's how they got the, the common name, the hoverfly, or flowerfly, because they, they love haunting flowers during the day. And they have no stingers, so there's no worry about them hurting you at all. So they're a true fly. They're, they're, they're not, a, not a bee. 
Not a bee, because they only have one pair of wings, um, and that's what a fly is. The definition of a fly is one set of wings, diptera oh. in the Latin, meaning, yeah, two dip, wings. Dip as in two? Yep. Oh, diptera, as in like pterodactyl? Yep, as in wings. So literally, a, the name for a fly is two wings, diptera. Oh, yeah. that's, I've learned something. That's fantastic. Keep going. Yeah, so um, the hoverflies are out at the moment in abundance because when it warms up, uh, insects, uh, they're ectothermic, or that's science talk for cold-blooded, essentially. So, so dear listener, please check outside. Uh, take the radio with you. Look in your garden right now because you'll see hoverflies. Now keep going. And now you're, talking, you're going to talk about the larva, I think. Yeah, so uh, the, the larvae are actually awesome... Um, natural pest management um, systems in your backyard because the larvae actually eat aphids. So they can eat hundreds of aphids within a couple of days. So they're, they're, it's integrated pest management in your backyard going on right now, thanks to flies. So the <laughs> humble fly goes and chows down on aphids and saves you roses. That's, yep, yeah, exactly. And, and for them, that would be a really protein-rich diet uh, when they go and become the adult stage. And they even do your gardening because not only are the larvae getting rid of the aphids, the, the adult flies themselves are drinking the nectar and eating the pollen of the flowers, and they're actually pollinating your backyard uh, plants as well. And now the bees take all the credit, don't they? Yeah, yeah, the bees take all the credit. Like the European <laughs> honeybee, yep, that's fantastic, it's a great pollinator, but... Some studies have shown that blowflies actually carry more pollen, about 2.7 times more pollen than the um, native, the local honeybee. Now, is it true that sometimes the European bee doesn't pollinate the flower in the correct way, that doesn't actually, is not effective for the flower? Have you, have you heard something like um, that? It wouldn't surprise me because, again, the European honeybee was introduced to Australia, uh, yeah. but a lot of native plants have evolved to be pollinated by native insects as well. So that includes native bees, wasps, moths, butterflies, and flies as well. Uh, even the pesky uh, blowfly and horsefly, known as the marchfly, they're, in, they're fantastic pollinators of eucalypts, tea trees, grevillea, all sorts of amazing um, uh, it's native all, species. It's all, all an, uh, a beautiful illustration here on Fuzzy Logic of the great web of life. Everything is interconnected. Mm. And I sometimes say that, you know, if, if somebody came up to me and said, you've got five seconds to say, what is the most important thing you could tell me? I would say, everything is connected. Mm. Yep, definitely. Yeah, I agree with that. And we are connected here on Fuzzy Logic with our guest, Olympia Yaga uh, from Gotero, who grows flies for animal feed, <laughs> and Dr. Brian Lesser, who's postdoctoral fellow at the CSIRO. <laughs> we, we might break to a quick track, I think. Uh, and this one is dedicated to that great musician who died, sadly, not long ago. And a tribute to Leonard Cohen there. Hallelujah. A great song. Beautiful, quite a mournful piece of music there. Which is kind of at odds with our lively conversation. <laughs> We're having flies, flies buzzing around as we are around the studio today with our guests. Uh, people who love flies. <laughs> Dr. Brian Lessard from the CSIRO and Olympia Yaga from a company called Gotera. Now, we're trying to elevate the poor little fly, the much maligned fly, and I'm really disappointed because um, um, 
I had a track to play for you, so I'm going to sing it instead. <laughs> Do you want? You might sing along. <laughs> I went through all the trouble of uh, getting this audio uh, to play for you today as a little surprise. Uh, we're taking the risk that you were going to um, walk out of the studio. And uh, are you ready? I'm Louis the Flag. I'm Louis the Flag. <laughs> from rubbish to, to you. I'm bad and mean and mighty unclean. Afraid of no one except the man with a can. That's the first time I was on the air, I think. Yeah, beautiful. <laughs> the, the, Acapella. <laughs> yeah. Louis the, the, the Fly. Please, please, don't leave, please don't leave the studio. <laughs> but how do you feel when you, when you look at ads like that and, and we know we've got to hit them with insecticides and so on? I think that's the reason why Australians hate flies, mostly. We've grown up on Louis the Fly and we've in- been ingrained that flies are evil and they spread disease. In some cases they do, but it's not It's not completely true. Um, as Olympia's found, flies can be extremely important, um, managing food waste and all well, that sort let's, of stuff. Let's talk about the, the d- disease potential, maybe the... Um, is it as bad as we say? I mean, is there only like a subset of flies that do that? Definitely with the um, common bush fly that everyone's familiar with, mm. the larvae uh, grow up in cow pats um, on, on dairy farms, and that's why there's so many around Canberra, is because we've got so much um, uh, dairy farming and um, agricultural, agricultural yeah. sheep and all that sort of stuff. So, so they're, they're a pest when you're trying to eat your sausage at the barbecue, right? Yeah, so yeah. some flies, like the bush flies, are pests, um, but many are extremely important pollinators uh, decomposers and well, have you, all these roles that we, we well, you, you take said for earlier, earlier today that uh, was 159,000 types of fly? Species in the world Spe- yeah. Species of fly? And this is what I'm trying really hard to do at CSIRO in the Australian National, In-, Collection, in- Australian National Insect Collection is to be an ambassador for flies and I'm, I'm trying to change people's perception in flies and show them that some can be absolutely gorgeous and beautiful and just stunning and really useful to us and people should but appreciate it. It's, it's only like, it, it's like the, the, the football hooligans, you know, it's only a tiny percentage of you know, the great majority, so the average, you know, well-meaning fly is not a problem, we just sort of notice the ones that are buzzing around our, our, our face and so on, and these ones are quietly doing the work at night, they're decomposing pigs. <laughs> <laughs> or, or even just the um, the terrible surprises that our neighbours dogs leave in the park they're getting rid of that for us yeah they're doing our landscaping well I think too like if you take it from a commercial sense a lot of the reasons why they've become uh, pests is because we've um, we've taken away the balance so going back to what you said about we're all connected um, you know we haven't managed dung beetle populations which would keep our bushfly populations at minimum if we were you know, if we were reintroducing dung beetles into a, onto properties, um, they would keep the pa- cow pats low. Um, the prolific nature of pa- cow pats, they would be doing that job instead of leaving it up to the bush flies. So we, we've upset yeah. we've the taken the balance away, and so when you take the balance away, because all those insecticides and, and different things have, have affected the dung beetle, so it's not doing its job, and the the bush flies are doing the job for them, which is great on one side, but then it's not all really 
really great from the having a sausage at Tilopia Park <laughs> side of things. So, you know, we do need to start... That's why I think what Brian's doing with making the science of flies cool again, we need to remember the, the place in the story for all of the things so that we can still get what we want because we don't. nobody wants to change. We want to be able to go and have a fly-free picnic, but maybe the way to do that is to bring more insects into the conversation rather than less. Well, if, uh, Brian, when I heard you interviewed on Triple Six ABC, you talked about the world's growing population and how a solution like this could, you know, is a really important idea. And Definitely. In the year 2050, we're expected to feed 9.6 billion mouths on the same limited resources we have today. Yeah. We don't have the land to do that. Um, we don't have the resources. And we need to come up with new ways that we can, we can achieve this by... Yeah, and if you look at it in a commercial sense, so the numbers are that Australia will have to increase its grain production by about 60% to meet that demand. We're on target to only increase by about 40% of that. Um, which, And then when you add a lot of the big industry reports into that production requirement, um, site climate change and shifting weather patterns as creating, causing a significant challenge to being able to create, you know, meet those production um, needs. So it, I might plant the wheat and then hailstorm or freak really dry, hot two weeks and then freezing cold a week. You know, these very dramatic shifts that are making it very hard from commercial enterprises to manage production are going to make it hard for us to continue to increase our production capacity to feed that population. So we have to find ways to not not get rid of Con- conventional production, but also to meet the demand that we're going to have so moving we, we forward. So we have to think creatively. And instead to... of putting millions of dollars of research into genetically engineering a new strain mm. of wheat that can you know, survive, survive the drought, <laughs> we could just use black soldier flies ready now and go mm. for it. The beauty about the black soldier flies is that it's already in your compost um, in your backyard. Mm. Uh, they're I mean, all over Australia. Just describe them for me, can you? Yeah, so they're about two centimetres long they they look like wasps again um they they mimic wasps so birds and other predators won't eat them so they're, they're quite two centimeters fairly large it's about the, the length of the end of your thumb your thumb yep yeah. um they're parallel sided uh they don't have any stingers so there's no risk of them hurting you and the adults don't feed so there's no risk of them transferring diseases uh into your food or anything like that. They won't even enter your house. There's no need for them to. Um, they prefer staying around um, uh, com- decomposing organic matter where they can lay their eggs because the adults don't last um, that long. They spend most of their lifetime in the larval stage, and this is why they can get so plump and fat. And the larvae are 45% crude protein, so that's why people are developing them, like in Goterra. For, for 40 40 percent protein 40 yeah 45 yeah. protein and uh compared to uh crickets that are 10 percent so and again depending on what they yeah are they he says tentatively a candidate for human consumption they are consumed by humans in some countries um asia um sees them as a food source already and that's um yeah they but the, those a lot of countries in asia are already eating um grubs and bugs of all kinds. Do you think it's a, a bit of a leap, though, for the Western diet to, to 
I'm not saying never, but certainly that's not our focus right now. We're going to attack one PR campaign at a time. Yes. Um, so we think getting to the point where Australians believe in the capacity for flies to contribute to our agricultural um, needs yeah. is a first step. And once we've well, got there... Well, how, how about, um, I, I can't see people going to a barbecue, you know, mega rissoles. It doesn't sound... Sure. It sounds terrible. <laughs> it sounds terrible. Hey, with the right seasoning and Anything recipe. Anything is good. Yes. <laughs> but what, what about pet food? It is being used already as pet food and and there is a high palatability for pet food. Certainly whenever any of our dogs find them on the floor of the warehouse, they are incredibly excited. Um, they have a fishy smell. It's not a, a bad fishy smell. It smells a bit like, um, uh, like those fish food flakes. It oh, smells yeah. a little bit like that, but... Not as strong. Can you describe the setup that you've got? What, what does it look like? If we if we maybe went there one day to do a live fuzzy, sure. <laughs> uh, what, what would we see? So it's a big warehouse in Fishwick. Um, we basically thirty is our magic number, so we keep the warehouse at thirty degrees because that's their favourite temperature mm-hmm. uh, between thirty uh, twenty seven and thirty two. So we just sit right there at thirty. Um, it's uh, about it's like being in the dry season in Darwin, so it's 75 degrees humidity in there. Um, and then we have several different rooms. So we have a hatchery room where the eggs are hatched, um, and then we move the neonates from the hatchery room into a grow room, which is where we grow um, the larva out um, and then at the moment we're just growing for production so we're not taking anything away for um, a, to create feed we're just grow, increasing our numbers so we let everything pupate um, and turn into a fly right now aside from little sa- test samples that we're sending away to sort of track what tests uh, yeah, so, so you're still in the very early age stages of development of the market here is that, yeah is so that we've gone we've just gone from a small pilot um, set up and this is our commercial scale scaling what phase. sort of reaction are you getting from uh, purchases from the market agriculturally we have not yet had one raised eyebrow um, farm Australian farmers are some of the most innovative uh, people in business in Australia in my humble opinion they are constantly looking for effective ways to develop their product and they they know their bottom line better than most businesses. A farmer will be able to tell you just what his what his effluent waste is worth to him, even if he's only putting it onto his pasture, he still knows or she still knows what that is worth to him in, okay. in, in money. So they are when you explain it to them in a business sense, they it's it's a it's okay. A great so thing. so if uh, I had a a chook farm somewhere mm. and uh, I wanted to buy some of the uh, soldier fly lava, mm-hmm. is the right term? Yep. Yes. Yep. yep. Hey, we can say maggot. <laughs> yeah, we don't mind maggot. <laughs> We're not scared. <laughs> Man up. Yes. I'll let the anyway. Uh, so I would say I'd approach you and say I would like a delivery and I presume these things are you delivering them live no 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 so there's still some regulation in place and you've got to be this is where the scaling process is going to be um, we, are, we are working closely with Animal Health Australia and other organisations to make sure that we develop regulations that are in keeping with Australia's biosecurity needs it's very important to um, make sure that we develop that because this 
this is not an industry that is known. So we are creating you're, all you're of the things that we here, right? Yeah. So the um, we're taking forward purchase orders for 2018, um, and that and there'll be some. We already have some farms that we've identified who will take small loads to do some test feeding and oh. some other research through 2017. So in what form will the products look? It'll be there's two forms to be delivered. So it'll be dehydrated lava, and we'll be doing a meal, which will be dehydrated lava that is then processed oh, and, then, into and then ground up. Yeah. So you, you so you take the lava obviously before they hatch yes well we yeah sorry, we, uh, sorry I've got to use the right okay. term they, they've already hatched haven't they they've hatched into the into the larva it's the stage. same um, cycle as a butterfly yeah. you have the egg and then the egg hatches into the multiple stages of larvae and then they enter the cocoon or pupa yeah um, and then they emerge into the adult so when you, we take them before they go to pupa stage because at that point when you go to pupa stage they dump out a lot of stuff to to turn into a, a fly. So we take them before they pupa. So a, 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 a naive question then. Uh, what's the definition of pupil stage? For, sorry. No, the pupil is when um, they, they enter the cocoon phase essentially. So their outer case becomes really hard and that's when the metamorphosis occurs and they start developing into the adult fly mm. and then they hatch from that pupil case into the adult Oh, so so the larva st- the maggot will still look like a maggot right. and, and when the when the way the black soldier fly does it which is a really wonderful commercially it's a really wonderful thing because it self harvests itself so he when he's ready to turn into a larva uh, sorry a, a pupa he walks out of the feed bin so as long as they've got a 45 degree angle they will take themselves out oh, of the so food so you don't waste. have to separate them from the, from the not food. if you're not if you're looking for them to pupa so if you're just getting more flies and growing they will walk themselves out of the substrate um, when they're ready and then they turn they will harden and the way you can tell that they're ready is that they will harden and there'll be a small kink in the bottom of their tail um, and that's they, they'll stop moving and that's the end of the story for ah, that part of the phase. Okay. And then, then you pick them up, you, you collect them and you put them into a kiln or something no, to, to dry them? Yeah, so we don't harvest them for feed at that stage. Right. We harvest them, bef- that's before then, so that's a sifting process. Ah, okay. So we get them out of the substrate if we're going to turn them into feed and we get them before they get ready to pupate. So it's about, it's a, usually around 10 days that we're harvesting. Okay. So I'm, I'm picturing cardboard box, plastic line or something, and then this dry stuff. <laughs> so it's um, the feed substrate, it, it, depending on how... There's a lot of different ways to do the... and a lot of different opinions on how this all works. And again, there's also a lot of secrecy. But for us, it is uh, a tub that we've specifically set up to have that angle because we are looking just to get them to pupate out um, and then we have um, food waste that we pre-prepare um, so we mash it all up together so it's an actual feed of itself not just a piece of watermelon a piece of chicken and um, and they will consume that and when and then they if we want to we shake them out of there and we take them to be used as feed or we let them walk themselves out oh okay here <laughs> fuzzy logic this program is dedicated to the humble fly with two people who love flies and we should all love flies after hearing you speak today <laughs> definitely Brian sure. SI postdoctoral fellow at the CSIRO and Olympia Yaga from a company called 
Gertera. Yes. That's right. Now, um, Olympia, you were talking before the show about flies, and, and Brian, I'm sure I think you'll have a, a take on this as well. The flies have a kind of a character as well, right? I mean, we tend to think of these vast drones. There's only one fly, right? Yeah, definitely. So um, I, I, I'm based at CSRO's Australian National Insect Collection, and we have 12 million insect specimens that we curate. But the, most of them, like in a museum, the specimens are dead, so you don't really get to see how they act. But because I'm doing a lot of DNA research, I need to go out and collect fresh specimens. And this is where I get to see how the flies interact in the in the real world. And you'd go into the bush and you'd see all these flowers and then just the, the flies pollinating them and buzzing and zipping and darting around and males and females mating. They do these courtship dances where they, they join arms and, and spin around in spirals. And really? it's, it's just amazing to see the... Um, so, so you get to watch their behaviour, their them interacting in the, with each other and in the environment, that must be yeah. Um, the idea of looking at drawers and drawers of desiccated insects is much less appealing but to, to, to see them do things and to see the quirky mannerisms it's it's amazing and um especially when you're describing new species you can see the morphology and what they look like but you need as many different um sources of evidence yeah, as you because can just so. seeing the, the dried specimens it's a very one-dimensional way of looking at them where, where do you go so I've been fortunate enough to go all over Australia because the soldier flies that I'm working on, um, I'm studying all the Australian soldier flies. So not just the black soldier fly um, that Olympia and Goterra are working on, but the 130 other species of soldier flies that occur in Australia. So I've been up to Cape York, down to Brisbane, um, Barrington Tops in New South Wales. To I was on the Bush Blitz um, team in Tasmania in helicopters getting dropped off on Mount Anne collecting flies and um, in WA and um, I, I, I love that. Kangaroo Island. I, I, I love that, Brian, because the archetypal image of a taxonomist is a person sitting there with a drawer of dried insects yeah. to a board with pins and just writing their names down. And again, um, I'm trying to break the public's perception of um, not just flies, but also taxonomy. When you think of taxonomy, the first thing you probably think of is stuffing animals, and that's actually taxidermy. <laughs> <laughs> but taxonomy is the classification and naming of species. Um, and but when but, but it's, it's more than just the naming, though, isn't it? It's understanding the structure of life. Yes, so it's the job of an entomologist to put a label on each species because we need to know what each species specifically does. If we didn't have taxonomy, we'd think flies were uh, just that one one annoying species and not uh, pollinators, uh, disease vectors, um, and all sorts of different... Now, I've heard scientists bemoaning the fact that there's a great shortage of taxonomists. Is that, is that true? Yes, so um, not many people hear about taxonomy anymore, uh, which is unfortunate because there's so many new species to describe. We've only described about a quarter of life on Earth and we're losing species at a rapid rate due to deforestation and negative um, human impacts and climate change. Mm. So we really need to encourage the younger generation of scientists and taxonomists to um, help us describe every species in the world before we lose them. 
And that's part of what I'm trying to do in my research is by sharing it and showing people that I'm a human entomologist and I, I'm doing this work and it can be fun. I, I love that, Brian, because I think you've just encapsulated in those few words the spirit of today's program. We're, we're running to an end now. Uh, Olympia, do you have an equivalent? What's, do, you, do you have a, like a passion? That, uh, I mean, if you saw your younger self, you know, age 12, <laughs> and, and, and you said, Olympia... You must do this. What would you? What would you say? Oh, I don't know if I would tell the younger self. Um, oh God, it's hard, it's hard to prepare a youngest twelve-year-old self for growing up to be a maggot farmer. But I think um, I, I just think I, I continue to be grateful that I was raised in a way that made me want to be. Um, not just sort of investigate and know things but also give back and I think that's something that any of us that are interested in science um, can do more of like you know Brian's work goes further than just the science of what he's doing he took it upon himself to name a fly in a way that delivered a PR message as well and and I think those are the things that will they actually have a stronger impact than the work itself, which isn't to take away from the work. But if we just do the work, it's not enough. We have to put the work out into the world so that people can hear it and learn about it. And I think it's things like, you know, Brian named a fly after Beyonce, and it was purposeful and strategic. And so I think I remind the 12-year-old me that it's not enough to just know that I'm doing great in my world. I have to have... I have to be able to stand up and, and send that out into the world that's, so that, that others can that's see. That's wonderful, wonderfully put, Olympia. Um, yeah. I, I couldn't put that better myself. <laughs> <laughs> and and, and uh, you summarise it for me as well, you know, as a science communicator and to talk to people like yourselves who really love what you're doing. It's, it's important. It might seem obscure, you know, mm. scientists in the back labs wearing white coats doing weird things on blackboards yeah. and test tubes. But it makes a real difference to the world, and God knows of all times now... More uh, than ever. More than yeah. ever, we need it, and we've talked about the challenges ahead of us in, in the future, uh, and I, I thank you. I thank you enormously. It's, it's, it's been an enormous pleasure to, to, to talk to you both. I love your passion. Thank I love you. your passion. Thank it's, you. It's a yeah. great thing. Now, uh, we have a companion column, uh, Fuzzy Logic. We have the Ask Fuzzy that appears in Fairfax online and each Sunday in the Canberra Times. Today is for the poor people in uh, Japan uh, and it's about tsunami. And I've been talking to some geologists and they say, and I ask them, how do you know that a tsunami is going to happen after an earthquake? So that was the questioning today. Mm more difficult than you think. Last week we had another uh, geologist talking about liquefaction of soils and the soils get get shaken up and some rather daunting pictures of what happens during liquefaction. Imagine standing on the ground when it all just turns to mush because everything is being shaken. Oh God, definitely. I was at a conference last week, um, the Australian and New Zealand Entomology Conference, and there was a New Zealand researcher from Lincoln University, and he said that earthquakes also affect insect collections as well. So how much do you insure our insect specimens for, for an insurance company? And that was a really interesting well, there you discussion. Go. Everything, everything is connected. We are connected today. Uh, plenty more coming up on Fuzzy Logic. Time to go. See Thanks you later. Thank you. Bye.